Trigger warning, Death and Friends is not a podcast for the light of heart. Many dark and serious subjects will come up. Listener discretion is advised. Yo, Angel, we gotta go. It's time to record. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, one second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Is Tutman light? Yeah. Nine. Yeah. I love you, too. Love you, Mom. Bye. Okay, let's go. Cool. Oh, uh, wait, do you, have a, do you have a pen I can borrow? All my pens are gone. Oh, that's weird. Uh, yeah, for sure. Hang on. shit what is this oh yeah this is where i keep the cursed items that we've collected over time okay see over here's a book of the dead preserved krampus head uh tut's penis are those are those tut's condoms let's see oh here's some kitchenware that typhoid mary used why do you have all this Uh, oh now we open this up hang on we got pens in this box okay all right here's a pen here you go, buddy. Thanks. All right, let's go make some magic. Th- wait, wait, Angel? Uh-huh. This is my pen. Um. All right. Here we go. Death comes for us all. You might as well make it your friend. Your friend. With us on Hello, skeleton army. It's your girl, Angel, and this is your boy, Nash. Mm, yes. Mustache swirling noises. Yes. <laughs> so, let's get down to business. To defeat the, the Huns. Huns. That's right. We are revisiting the Huns, the Mongolian Empire. Well, um, didn't Angel? Y- yes. Didn't. We we did an episode on the Mongolian Empire, like Genghis Khan. You wrote it. You you were... never talk to me or my son ever again. You do have a son. <laughs> to my delight, there has been more than one Mongolian Empire in the world. Far from the last. Soon we will rise. Okay. First of all, you're not Mongolian. Second, it's called a harem of women, <laughs> not an empire. <laughs> Lots of things to unpack in this exchange. We won't be doing any of those today. Uh, fear me. <laughs> Well, this time around, not only will we talk about one of the greatest military tacticians in history, who also happens to be from Mongolia. Is this shit genetic? Uh, probably. Oh. But more importantly, we also get to talk about two other specific things. Something spooky, something spooky, something spooky. A curse! Hell yeah, brother. Let us have it. An ancient tomb's curse! Yes, baby. Uh, that being said, Nash, paint the picture. The Gurimir, which translates to Tomb of the King, is the mausoleum of the conqueror Timur, also known as Timur the Lame. Not for party reasons, but for limping reasons. The grave is in Samarkand, Uzbekistan, and he's just been chilling in there in a nice, cozy jade sarcophagus for centuries. God, imagine a nap that long. Like a... Like a bear. I can only get so erect. The Guri Amir would become the template for the Taj Mahal with its incredible domes and detailed architecture. Originally, Timur had a humble tomb that he created for himself, but eventually his grandkids were like, this, this ain't it. And they moved his body to the Guri Amir. It eventually becomes the family's crypt, 
And oh my God, this palace is gorgeous. gorgeous. I'm talking beautiful carved bricks, mosaics, gorgeous incandescent tiles. The dome on the top is a lovely blue with rosettes and spots with the frame giving a certain... Je ne sais quoi. I don't know what. <laughs> the walls and floors are a deep onyx painted and they are gilded. They, of course, lead to the graves of the family where under a large jade slab lies the grave of Timur himself. On the sarcophagus itself, an inscription warning those who dare disturb it. More on that later. Then somebody gets the bright idea to exhume Timur's body. I'm sorry, what now? In 1740, <laughs> centuries after his death, King Nadir of the Ashford Empire tries to carry away Timur's sarcophagus and heaven in his personal collection. Okay, very intense, Nash. But uh, why? Why did they do that? Because he was crazy, Angel. Sorry. <clears throat> why do these weirdos do anything that they do? Oh, right, right. Yeah. So Nadir fucking loves Timur. Loves fucking him, fucking loves him. I'm talking dick riding to the max. Anyway, motivated to become his idol, he becomes a merciless leader, and he rules with the same ferocity and cruelty as Timur. Wait. What? Why did King Nadir love this dude so goddamn much? I'm glad you asked. Fun facts with Nash. Timur the Lame, or Tamerlan as he was called in the West... Tamerlane? You keep interrupting these, and quite frankly, it's very hard to keep my train of thought. Yeah. Anyway, why do white people call him Tamerlane? It's not even close to his name. You know it's usually racism. Well, Dios mio. This time, just laziness. Oh. Timur the Lame gets an international game of telephone and eventually just sort of turns into Tamerlane. Oh, like Godzilla and Gojira in the 1998 classic Godzilla. What? Featuring Matthew Broderick. What? Anyway, so it wasn't racism's fault this time? I mean, I'm sure... I'm sure there's like a seasoning of racism in there, but technically, no. Pure, uncut, not Colombian racism. Okay. Goddamn history's a mystery. Moving on. <clears throat> Timur, the Turco-Mongol conqueror, is founder of the Timurid Empire in Persia and Central Asia, and the first ruler of the Timurid dynasty. His name brings fear to the lands. With a name that means iron, he will rule with an iron fist. He will... Nash. <laughs> You okay, bud? What happened? What? What happened? Uh, fun facts. Ancient cursed ruler. Oh, goddammit. Again? Again. Moving on. <clears throat> Timur is the second most successful conqueror of all time, only second to Alexander the Great. If anything, the reason we don't know more about him is because there were many conquerors. And in the greatest generalization possible that I could possibly make, second place is the first to lose, baby! Shake and bake! Okay, first of all, that's rude, but this also explains why we know about Genghis Khan. Correct. But the way he conquers is essentially finesse. Much like Genghis Khan, he's not born into royalty. He earns it. Mostly through battle, commanding of militias. But since he's not a direct descendant of the Khans, he couldn't call himself the ruler of the Mongolian peoples, even though over decades he reunited the Khanate, the area that's fragmented into different tribes and colonies after Genghis's death, and multiple different rulers. He marries a woman that's actually related to Genghis, and he rules in sort of the shadows, assigning puppet Khans to do his bidding. Aw. That would actually be really cute. No, no. We learned our lesson about puppets already. Oh, yeah. The incident. I feel death coming. Timur's actually able to unify Central Asia, Afghanistan, and Iran, reestablishing the Silk Road. How? Murder! Yes. Well, specifically warfare. Just constantly killing, taking over lands. Some reports state that he actually killed 17 million people, which is just, like, statistically wild. At that time, that's around 5% of the population. Oof. Yep. 
And now for a fun fact inside a fun fact. A turducken. Fun fact with Timmer like to fuck. A turfucking. All right. That's it. You interrupted my segment with that? Well, I mean, yeah. Uh, he had many wives and concubines, and w- they were all very well educated and politically active in the lands they lived in. Um, 43 wives. There's a list, actually. We have historical record. Thank you, Angel. I'm helping. Okay. All right. Good job, buddy. Anyway, in 1405, in his advanced age, Timur has the thought, you know, I've conquered a lot, but no one has conquered China since our boy Genghis. Let's go do that. In the winter. On a horse. Not the best plan? In 1405, Timur dies either to old age or... More likely, pneumonia at the ripe age of 69. (laughs) Nice. Nice. So, back to King Nadir doing the one thing he probably wasn't supposed to do. Double dip? Yeah, it's gross. But also, on the way to transporting his sarcophagus, he does the one thing people from the mummy aren't supposed to do. But he does it anyway. And it leads to them all being sucked dry. They open the box? They open the box. Classic. They didn't so much open it as it, like, broke in half and then released a curse that's centuries old and led to Samarkand declining quickly. Everyone in the king's presence is like, Put it back! Jesus Christ, man! Put it back! Thank you, Angel. I try. So, uh, why was everyone so scared, though? Probably due to the super scary inscription outside of the gate. Which said, When I rise from the dead, the world shall tremble. (laughs) Hell yeah, brother! By the end of the 17th century, the only thing that's there is the mausoleum. And people know better than to get near it because of the curse. Also, King Nadir... Was the curse? Was the curse. His was wife... The curse. <laughs> <laughs> also, King Nadir's empire begins to implode pretty quickly with foreign invaders infighting, losing his empire. He gets one of those pesky little assassinations and does a quick die. That'll do it. After that, the Guri Emir is left alone. The Silk Road kind of skips over it, and it pretty much just gets forgotten to time, like the entrance to the spooky anthropomorphized lion cave in Aladdin. Until... That's right, baby! It's the second thing we're talking about today. We're talking about Joseph Daddy Stalin. Remember that guy? Wouldn't let Lenin chill with his mom post-death and force him to become an undead living doll? Stalin. You know, that fucking guy. It's 1941. And Stalin decides, you know what would be great right now, considering the world is going to shit? 1940. Oh, yeah. right. Yep. That one thing was happening. Well, I mean, that one thing was the second time it was happening again. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. The year is 1941. The Soviet Union is in its second year of not fighting in WW2. After signing a non-aggression pact with the Nazis, basically saying the USSR would let Germany kind of do its thing and not get involved, Stalin, living his best life, watching cowboy movies, sending innocents to labor camps, writing weird notes in the margins of male nudes. Wait, what? Quiet, you. Okay. Anyway, Stalin decides that he wants something to honor the heroes of the USSR, a.k.a. hey, let's take the people that mean a lot to the different regions that we control and make it seem like they're heroes of communism. In quotation marks, communism. So, propaganda? Yes. And the way he did this? Get ready for this. Fancy portraits. Uh Uh-huh. This is where Mikhail Miklovich 
Gerasimov, apologies if I mispronounce it, arrives! An archaeologist and anthropologist that specialized in the art of forensic sculpture. He studied skulls and made facial reconstructions of them. <gasps> He's literally a skull doctor. Not only did Stalin want a portrait of Timur, he wanted Timur's skull on his mantle. What is the deal with goddamn dictators and keeping other dictators' bodies with them? Anyway, old Gerasimov takes him and his homies. Excavation crew? Whatever, virgin. Okay. Yes. They go into Uzbekistan, arrive in Sarmakan on June 19th, 1941. Why does that date sound familiar? Shut up. And immediately confront a lot of locals who are like, Hey guys, um, don't go in there. It's like against the rules. They're, by the way, they're holding weapons. It's like four of them who do this, Ooh. actually. <laughs> There's like, hey, don't go in there. But obviously in the reading of this, um, <clears throat> hey, don't go in there. It's like against the rules. And Grasmov and his Russian crew are like, screw the rules. I have money. <laughs> and also this gun. <laughs> So they roll on into the tomb like goddamn Indiana Jones villains, completely ignoring the cultural markers and warnings, and they crack the jade tomb open. The smell of rose water permeates the tomb, and they discover Timur's coffin, an intricate coffin made of ebony wood. Where the infamous message was written as an inscription on the coffin. <clears throat> Whomsoever opens my tomb shall unleash an invader more terrible than I am. Spooky! They open up the coffin, they confirm that the person inside the coffin is in fact Timur, and they begin to take selfies with it. Uh, uh, perdón? Well, okay, maybe not selfies, but there are a lot of pictures of them in the tomb taking pictures and posing with Timur's head. Well, that's a choice and not foreshadowing at all of anything bad later. Correct. Afterwards, they pack up, they head back to Russia, and on June 20th, 1941, a thing happens. A thing? A thing. So remember the inscription? The highly specific invader one? Right. What about it? It happens. What do you mean, it happens? On June 20th, 1941, Hitler invades the Soviet Union, beginning the Eastern Front of World War II. That'll do it. Literally the next day, Hitler attacks, and while not getting into the full details of that battle along the Eastern Front, Russia, having been unprepared for this attack, as well as being <gasps> shook that their fascist brother-in-arms are good old buddy Hitler crossed his fingers while promising not to attack. He's devastated. They're just all devastated. They lose ground and also millions of citizens. Just as an aside. Now, throughout the months of battling, Ograzimov is able to make his sketch and reconstruct Timur's face, which is the one we all know and love now. Oh. And a few people in the inner circle kind of put two and two together in regard to Timur's head being in Russia and mm -hmm. Things going really badly, and we're probably like... That skull belongs in a museum! What? No. No, it belongs where it came from. I know. But I saw my chance, and I took it. In November 1942, Stalin sends Grasimov back to Samarkand, has Timur reburied in the Islamic tradition. The flight went over the city of Stalingrad, reports stating that at the moment that the body was reburied, the Battle of Stalingrad tilted in favor of the Soviet Union, and that it became the turning point of World War II. Are we saying that the reason that Hitler invaded Russia is because of a disturbance in an ancient tomb? Yes. Huh. And on that note, that's the episode. Well, hang on now. So Hitler's planning his invasion for months, and he learns nothing from Napoleon in invading Russia in the winter. Like, nothing. Like, I think he learned less things. Like, something else left his head. It was probably all the speed. Yeah. Anyway, boo! Okay, okay, fine. It's a curse. Yay! And on that note, what we've learned today is let's not grave rob.
because it leads to us making bad choices. That's the episode. A special thanks to you, our favorite listener. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. A rain review would also make me happy. Thank you very much. You can also follow us on socials. I'm at Gurria Jokes, G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A Jokes. And I'm at Gorilla Jokes, G O R Sorry, if I could have just spelled that without laughing, uh, I would have pulled it off, but I didn't. I'm at It's Nashlin. You can also follow the podcast where we drop incredibly specific memes and unhinged selfies at Death and Friends Podcast. Would you like to live deliciously? Become a member of the Skeleton Army and join us on Patreon. We use it to cover our sound guys' medical bills. In order to properly write medical facts, we expose Dom to all the illnesses and ways to die we talk about on the show. Uh, what did we do this week, Nash? We definitely didn't open his tomb. Definitely. Wink, wink. Speaking of Patreon, it is time to honor a member at the Brendan Fraser level. Praise be Judy Bloomquist. Praise be Brendan Fraser. So check it out at patreon.com. No, that is not how you pronounce that. Fraser. Fraser. No. Sorry. Brendan, I love you, but you're just going to have to comply. Check it out at patreon.com slash deathandfriends. For more information, visit deathandfriends.org. Join us as we make the entire internet worse. Hey, death is tricky to talk about, even though we like to have a lot of fun with it. But we need you to know, and we need you to remember, in fact, that you are loved, you matter, and if you don't want to be your own friend, we will happily be your friend. I will protect your tomb for all eternity. The nicest thing you've ever said at the end of these episodes, Nash. I know, right? <laughs> Until next time, Skeleton Army. Stay spooky. Love you. Love you. This has been a Knavery Inc. podcast. Go to knaveryinc.com for more details. Executive produced by Jacob Duffy Halbleib. Audio design by Dominic Guanzon. Themes and transitions by Amy Doe. Metal variant of the Death and Friends theme song by Vincent Furway. Instagram at v.w.verweij. The fuck is a knave? His grave is in Samarkand, Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan? Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan. How you doing? Hey. Curse you, daytime Nash. <laughs> Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan, am I right? Uzbekistan. Okay, let's focus. Let's not say we did. Death? Fun facts with Nash. Never wink at me again, you son of a bitch. (laughs) Daytime energy. God damn it. Death? In 1740 centuries after his death, King... Your name is in bold, so you have to read it intensely. Sorry. In 1740 (laughs) centuries after his death, King Nadir of the Ashford Empire tries to carry away Timur's sarcophagus and heaven in his personal collection. That was fine. It was bold? It was very bold. I Great. thought you were going to stop after the first line and then just read it normally. No. No, we're committing to that? Uh, do you want me to take it again and we'll just see which one plays? I mean, I kind of don't want you to because it was really good. Okay. We'll just leave it. Okay. Oh, this one's highlighted. Shit. What do I do with that? Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, You piss your pants. <laughs> Death? <laughs> oh, fuck. That's all you're fucking getting. Death? And Grasmov and his Russian crew are like, screw the rules, I have money. <laughs> and also this gun. <laughs> it's a reference for a very specific corner of the internet. Death? No, it does not have Anya. Ampa, amp, nada. That's it. Hot pockets. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the four cheese one is real Stop. good. Stop. Okay. <laughs>
Death? This is why I don't leave my house. Death? Uh, tip of the leap. 